Hello, and welcome to the American Patchwork and Quilting Podcast. I'm your host, Beth Peterson, and I'm so excited to welcome you to the show. Today, we have a great interview with Kimberly Einmo. I had such a fabulous time chatting with her. She's an author, award-winning quilter, fabric designer, international instructor, quilt judge, and craftsy class host, and the national spokesperson for Genomi America. She has written six best-selling books published by the American Quilter Society, created a signature line of unique specialty quilting rulers, and she writes a column called Stray Threads in every issue of American Quilter magazine. Kimberly is proud to be a featured artist for the Electric Quilt Company, where she has developed three EQ companion software products. She recently joined Benertex as a fabric designer, and her new collection, Rueville, will be hitting quilt shops soon. Thanks for joining us today, Kimberly. Why don't you start by giving us a little background on how you got started quilting and what was your first quilt? Oh, thank you so much for having me today. I'm happy to be here and excited to share my story. Um, I got started quilting back in 1991 as a new Air Force wife. We had just moved to Washington, D.C., actually Alexandria, Virginia, and I was working in the city and taking the metro in, and um, I had ridden the metro home, and I was walking home, and I passed by a quilt shop called Quilt and Stuff, and at that moment, the heavens parted, the angels sang, and the sun shone down. And I was like, I walked in, I signed up immediately for a quilting class on the spot. And it was a six-week class. And um, let me just say, I had found my tribe or something. I don't know. And after three weeks of classes, I basically begged the shop owner to let me start working there. And she did. And the rest is history. So my first quilt was actually a little sampler quilt. Very small, just four blocks. But it was um, taught by a lady who taught me everything by hand. I mean, it was drafting your own templates, cutting templates from cereal cardboard boxes. And um, so that part was really fun uh, to learn how to do it um, without sewing machines. So I learned everything by hand, you know, but then it was an easy transition once they put a rotary cutter in my hand <laughs> to start doing it fast and, and sewing on sewing machines. And, but I had been sewing all my life, just never quilting. So um, I had been garment making and home deck and things like that, but never quilting till then. So it's been a long time, over 30 years. Wow, that shop must have had a really great front window display. <laughs> I just, when I looked in and it had big glass windows and uh, lots of bolts inside and I love fabric and it literally just drew me in from the street and I just, I, I just never stopped. It was so much fun. That's great that you were able to go in there and find your people right away. Yeah, right away. No kidding. <laughs> How did you get your start teaching quilting classes? So there was a competing quilt shop across town that was hosting Friday night mystery classes where you would come in from 6 p.m. to midnight and everybody brought something to share for a potluck. And it, it, it was, you know, you made a quilt top in an evening. And I just remember thinking that was about the most fun thing I could ever imagine. 
version, but the cost of the class in 1991 was $60. And we did not have $60 for me to spend on a quilt class. That was just more money than we had. We were so poor. But um, I just I just thought, well, I'm a graphic designer. How hard can it be? I'll just design my own and teach it. And I convinced the shop owner to let me do that. And um, those classes for about you know three years were like the most popular classes in her shop. And we did it every quarter and they were so much fun and people would, um, you know, be waiting to sign up. And it was just, it was fun. And I was just tenacious and kind of just didn't know any better. So I thought, well, I'll just jump right in and do it. So <laughs> <laughs> you don't know what you don't know. So you just try it. <laughs> that's exactly it. I didn't know what I didn't know. <laughs> so that's literally how I got my start in teaching. Okay. It sounds like you've moved around a lot. So has quilting kind of been that constant for you where you can go and you find your people in a new city? Yes. Married to an Air Force officer and we uh, just completed move number 23. Oh, wow. now he's retired from the Air Force quite a while ago, but um, we he still works in the defense industry and in supporting our uh, military frontline, front, uh, the troops on the front lines and um, is very passionate about that. So that's why we've moved. Now, hopefully this stop in Colorado is our last one ever because we just love it here. And I'm as, as much of a trooper as I am. I'm ready to stay put. But yes, quilting was something I could do no matter where we went. And I could volunteer to teach classes and meet people and get involved in local guilds. Or if we, when we were overseas, they had um, guilds on the base. So it was a good way to mix with other um, military wives and sometimes foreigners, which was really fun. And so, it, yes, quilting is universal and in every country we've lived in and every state I mean you know it's just the quilting is the thread that binds it's the ties that bind which I found very true so um it was a way to feel like I could do whatever wherever we moved I could do what I loved I love that that is so fabulous (laughs) yep so you mentioned that that was kind of how you got your start teaching so as a quilting instructor, you do teach both in-person and virtual classes on Craftsy. Is there a favorite technique that you just love to teach or um, something that has particularly stuck out in your teaching career? Yes. Um, I really thrive on teaching people how to find that perfect scant quarter inch. Because if you walk into a room with 25 students and you you ask them and they all have their own machines, you ask them to stitch what their version of a, a scant quarter inch is. I get 25 different <laughs> versions. So I I literally thrive on being able to define what it is, show them what it looks like and teach people how to achieve that on their own machines. Because the more accurate you are with in every step of the way, uh, with from cutting to piecing to pressing to everything, the more accurate you are, the more fun it is, the less frustrations you'll have, You don't have to use pins so much. It just becomes really fun. So um, precision piecing is really my jam. (laughs) And I love that. I I love teaching people um, shortcuts to cutting and uh, how to be very precise and not waste fabric um, and not spin their wheels being frustrated. So that's kind of what I love to teach the most is precision piecing. But especially I love that 
Oprah aha moment, that light bulb moment when um, somebody finally understands how to get that perfect scant quarter inch on their machine. And, and then it's just like, wow, I get it. It's just going to make everything so much better from there. Yeah, I agree. It is a little tough to sometimes nail those settings, but I feel like a lot of patterns now, it really is super, super, super important to have that scant quarter inch seam. Right. And to understand why you need that and what's the difference between a full quarter and then that scant quarter. So I have lots of visuals and slides showing, you know, just really, really zoomed in pictures of, of how to get that, what it looks like and how to, to achieve that at home. All right. You've also written several books with quilt patterns for pre-cuts. So do you have a favorite pre-cut and why? Well, I love jelly rolls. Jelly rolls are just the most amazing thing. And what's really fun for me to design with jelly rolls is I, I hear all the time, wherever I go, people say, oh, I've made a jelly roll race quilt or I've made a rail fence quilt, but what else can you do with them? What people don't realize is those two and a half inch strips are the most commonly used sizes of strips of any other size. And a jelly roll with 40 strips is exactly inch per inch, two and a half yards of fabric. So a jelly roll bundle is a lot of fabric and you can make a very generous sized double or queen size quilt from one of those. And I love to show people that you pick one jelly roll bundle and one background fabric and you can make exquisite quilts from these units. And so, um, and I love to design with them because the, the possibilities are endless. There's so many great uh, blocks and units you can make. So people um, sharing that uh, information and inspiration that you can do so much more than just simple quilts with jelly rolls. Um, I, I love that. And I just think that the design possibilities are endless. They're, they're little design powerhouses. So you pick up a jelly roll and half the work's done for you. So, and you get a little bit of every piece of that line. And I just love that. So I, I just think jelly rolls are great. <laughs> I know. I see. That's how I do my scraps. I only do two and a half inch squares and two and a half inch strips because those are such versatile sizes. And yes. I find that I can really use those a lot where maybe some other sizes I don't use as much. So those it's a lot easier to find patterns for, I think. Yeah, right. Exactly. You're right. It's so common and, and it, it just you can just use them all the time. And they're good for leftover, anything leftover. I find it's really hard to use up an entire jelly roll. So you are left with some scraps. And I do, I chop the leftover strips into like squares and rectangles. You're also a spokesperson for Janome America. Can you tell us any sewing machine secrets you've learned over the years or maybe a best sewing tip? Being Janome's national spokesperson is my greatest privilege and honor. Um, they are a fantastic company. And the people that make up that company are amazing. And their sewing machines are just so wonderful. And they, they have sewing machine models for every skill level and price point and preference. Um, my best tip is, um, well, there's so many, but to narrow it down is maintenance. I know it's the most unglamorous part of quilting, but it's the most important, um, you know, being sure to keep your machine cleaned out. Every time you change the bobbin, you should be either taking a little vacuum and sucking out, you know, that area, never blow into the bobbin case 
facing area, but you should always try to be brushing out the lint, um, making sure that it's oiled and maintained. And once a year, ladies, <laughs> every time you go schedule your mammogram, that's when your machine should go in for a spa day. <laughs> I mean, because even though it may be running beautifully, in order to keep it running beautifully, they need to be maintained. So, um, you know, I just like to make sure it gets done once a year, uh, just so it runs nicely. And, and it's always amazing. And these machines, they run beautifully. But when they come back after having a spa day, they just purr. So and the other thing is, um, I like to tell people when they are, are getting a sewing machine from a dealer, they are forging a relationship. This is so important, that a relationship with their local dealer, because that dealer is going to be there with support, education, anytime they have an issue for accessories when they need, you know, extra feet or whatever it is. It's really important to have a relationship with a dealer, someone that they can go in and say, hey, I need to learn how to do this thing or what does this foot do? You know, that's what that dealer is there for. So I think that's really an important thing that often gets overlooked. Yeah, that in-person help is so crucial. It is. It is. Because, you know, how many how many times has that happened when you're sewing on a Sunday evening and, you know, something gets knotted up or caught. And if you don't have that relationship on Monday morning, you can't call them and say, hey, this happened over the weekend. What do I do? <laughs> so it's really important to be able to have that backup when you need it. Yes. And a good reminder to clean out your machine. I know I probably don't do it as often as I need to. And every time I go in there, I'm so surprised by how much lint is coming out. That's <laughs> <laughs> true. It is true. So maintenance, it's the M word of quilting. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll transition a little bit. Uh, you have a new collection, a new fabric collection with Benertex called Rueville coming out soon. Yes. And you recently lived in Australia for a year and that experience inspired this collection. So tell us about your time in Australia with the kangaroos. Uh -huh. I will. Um, that was a once in a lifetime experience. Um, we lived, um, my husband was was uh, sent over there uh, to the center of the Australian outback. And to give you an, a perspective of how big Australia is, if you were to superimpose the United States over it, it's almost the same size landmass. It's huge. I had no idea before we went there how big Australia really is. Well, there's a little tiny town in the outback called Alice Springs with about 22,000 residents, which isn't a lot. And in between Alice Springs and the, and the coastal cities, there's almost nothing. <laughs> so um, it is very remote. It's very secluded. Um, there is a military site out there, and that's why we were there. But there's not a lot of, to do in in that area unless you're a camper or you like to go dirt biking. And and I'm not really big on going out in the outback because there's a lot of um, poisonous things, <laughs> snakes and spiders and things. So I, I'm not really that kind of, I'm more of a city girl. <laughs> so I was not um, looking to go trekking. 
and uh, to go to go out bush, as they they call it. So fortunately, though, where we had our home, it backed up to what they call, I believe, crown land, which is um, uh, land owned by by the Australians. And um, we would get kangaroos every single day. We got kangaroos and we did feed them, but only roo food and apples, which is part of you know, apples aren't really part of their diet. But the local kangaroo sanctuary told us it was OK to feed them cut up apples and uh, roo food we bought at the local feed shop. It's like similar to rabbit pellets, uh, that kind of that okay. rabbit food. And we would put that out and water, always water, because it's really hard to find water. And so the water and the roof food and the apples would draw the, the kangaroos to our backyard. And it was so much fun. We um, literally had these big plate glass windows and we could just lay in bed or sit in the chair and just watch the roos come right up to the back door. Now, we never tried to pet them. We didn't want to, to tame them but we wanted to give them food and water and our cats would go nose to nose with them through the <laughs> glass window. And it was so much fun watching them. We would get a lot of the mamas and the joeys. So cute. They're just adorable. Every once in a while we get big reds, big reds are because the, these were the red kangaroos. Um, the big reds were the big males and, you know, standing up on their hind legs, they could be six feet tall. <laughs> They're big. <laughs> and um, the thing is about kangaroos, they're sort of like deer. They're a little skittish and they're not looking to hurt anybody. They're not going to hunt you down. And and uh, they're very um, sweet and they're more interested in getting away from you. But um, we enjoyed watching them and they would come. And um, so that was the inspiration that and all the birds. There are so many glorious birds in Australia. I had no idea cockatiels and parakeets and all these beautifully colored birds flying wild uh, all around. And so that was so much fun because there wasn't really anywhere to go in Alice Springs. We just did a lot of bird watching and kangaroo watching right from our from our own home. <laughs> okay, so the line doesn't have any uh, poisonous spiders or snakes in it then. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I, I did include a koala too because we did see koalas. They're only in the coastal cities where the eucalyptus grow. Um, and there's no koalas in the outback. But um, yeah, they're they're such a part of Australia. Uh, but yeah, no snakes, no, no critters, and no dinner plate size spiders. <laughs> I tell you, anytime I see a picture of a giant spider, I, I go, it's Australia, 100% Australia. And it always is. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that I, I didn't really like the spiders. And, and believe me, I didn't go looking for them either. But um, yeah, so I learned a lot. I learned a lot while living there. Um, it was a, a great experience. I'm very glad to be back in the U.S., just saying Amazon Prime takes eight weeks to deliver to Alice Springs. Eight weeks. Oh so, my gosh. <laughs> yeah. So I'm um, getting anything delivered. It was just month, a months long process. And so um, I'm glad to be home. <laughs> <laughs> but I will always cherish those ruse. They were so sweet. That sounds just really like a once in a lifetime experience. It was. Yeah. So was there a quilt shop, though, in Alice Springs? There was. There was a tiny little shop. Um, and, and there was a, a store there called um, the Aboriginal uh, Quilt Fabric Company. Um, and they had beautiful Aboriginal fabrics, which I bought way too many of. <laughs> <laughs> 
I have a lot of Aboriginal fabrics now that I just adore. Um, so yes, there was a little tiny shop there and that that made it nice to have that as a little backup. So, um, and there was a little quilt group there with about um, oh, anywhere from 18 to 24 people would come to their, their quilt group meetings and they have a little show once a year, which is very well done. Um, so it, it was good to at least know that there were other cultures in the area. I will say about half of those were um, expats, okay. <laughs> Americans now living there that had come over there for whatever reason. Um, so th- it was fun. It was a nice blend of Americans and Australians. Time for a quick break. And when we come back, we'll chat with Kimberly about her new fabric line, Ruville for Benertex. We're back to continue our chat with Kimberly about kangaroos, color, and designing her fabric line. So you got your inspiration from the kangaroos. So then how do you go about taking that and and putting that onto fabric? So yeah, when um, I, I had a meeting last fall with Benetex and I came with ideas. I came with, I knew that I was so inspired by these beautiful uh, kangaroos and even seeing the koalas when we when we visited the coastal cities. Um, I, I wanted to put that somehow. And I, I was also on the hunt for fabrics with kangaroos on them because I thought, oh, this is fun. I love kangaroos. It's now my spirit animal. And uh, so I thought I, I wanted to shop for kangaroo fabrics and realized there's not a lot out there. <laughs> I mean, you can find all kinds of elephants and hippos and cats and dogs and and giraffes, but not a lot of kangaroos. So my idea was, well, let's make a fabric with kangaroos and and koalas and some parrots and things. So um, I approached them and they loved the idea. And then from there, we started with some drawings and um, colors. I brought a bunch of colors from the photos I took while I was there. They have gorgeous, unbelievable sunsets out in Alice Springs. And um, the reason, there's two reasons uh, that the colors, I mean, they would have occasionally these purple skies at night at sunset. And I had heard about the purple skies and it was like purple skies. I, I didn't understand it until I experienced it. I wish I could show pictures on this podcast, but it's for two reasons. One, there's no pollution whatsoever out there. So everything is really clear, but the, all the dirt is this red, they call it the red center because all the dirt is red. And when the dust blows the dirt up into the atmosphere, you get these purple skies. So um, we get incredibly beautiful, vibrant um, sunsets. So I had all these photos with all these beautiful sunsets and just the the glorious bird colors and and just everything. So I wanted to incorporate those colors, those cheerful, bright, saturated, wonderful colors in with my designs. So that's how it all kind of came together. Okay. So which part of that design process is your favorite? Oh, the concept. (laughs) No, the concept and actually working on the artwork and um, working with the artist at Benetex to get the colors right. I mean, they came up with so many different color choices and colorways once we had the artwork where we wanted it. You know, we start with a main print and then there's blenders and, you know, like a medium sized print to go with it. And then a little small print and then a tone on tone. I really love working with tone on tones more than even solid fabrics. I like tone on tones. So that was a really important part of what I wanted to put in this collection. But then they gave me so many color choices. The hardest part was narrowing it down. 
<laughs> to, you know, a number. We had to come up with 26 for the line. And, you know, I think we started with like 40, you know, and it was like, oh, well, I can't cut that one. It's too pretty. <laughs> so it was really hard to pare it down because they gave me so many great choices to to start with. So, but we, we work through it and, and that's fun. I actually really love that process. So after your time in Australia, now you said you're back in the United States, you're in Colorado. So how did you set up your sewing room in your new home? You must have a lot of experience with setting up your sewing room. (laughs) I always, yes, I've set up a a studio in every room, uh, every house we've been in, basically since our third house. And this is move number 23. So I've done it 20 times. Um, And I always tease my husband that if I ever quit my day job, I could be like a professional at setting up people's spaces because (laughs) I've learned to make the most of every single inch in the room and make it usable and and how to do that and cheaply (laughs) on a budget, um, you know, and how to make use of space. The space in this house um, was not ideal at first because it was in the basement and it was a walkout basement. So there's a, a back room that's kind of underground. And I always like to tell people, you know, you should always try to choose the room with the best natural light. And um, in this case, with the house we chose, um, I couldn't do that. And it was such a challenge because the ceilings are low in my studio and that back room, it when the way they had it set up, it was more of a man cave, you know, for watching sports and, you know, <laughs> there was, you know, like wine glasses and everything everywhere. And I was like, oh, no, no, no. And and the walls were dark. And I was like, all right, first thing we have to do is paint everything bright white. I need to get as much light in this space as possible because having good light is so important. And um, even replacing the light bulbs and the can lights in the ceiling. I mean, I, when we went to pick out the lights, I told the man that the the, the wattage and the brightness, I wanted the surface of the sun. <laughs> and he just looked at me and I said, "I you can't make it too bright for me. I, I need so much light. And so, you know, just doing that, setting it up so that I could um, have usable space, good storage. Everything has to be organized. I'm kind of a neat Nick and I want everything all organized and um, I just making it light and bright. And now it's a space I just love. I'm very, very happy, but worked really hard to make, get rid of that, that feeling of, oh no, it's a dungeon. It's, you know, back underground. And, and so now it's light and bright and I have just, um, you know, beautiful colored quilts. I've hung quilts on the walls. I've painted um, the room couple of the walls like a beautiful orchid color and you know just to make it as cheerful and as as friendly and as welcoming as I could possibly make it because I want to spend time there and I want to be inspired in that space. So what's your best budget organizing tip then for your sewing room? Wow um well, it would have to be, you know, make use of what you have. Either you can use, um, I mean, I even use old shoe boxes for storage, but then I label them. So a label maker is really important because you want to be able to label things. But, you know, um, also watch for um, at, at dollar the dollar store or at some of these shops where they have these pretty white plastic baskets. I make use of a lot of those and I want them to be easily accessible. Um, I want them to be labeled so I don't have to go rooting through them. And so I take the time to organize. And the other tip that I really love is when you're using um, sh- um, cupboards, 
to put those pull out drawer things that you can get at, at, you know, like um, hardware stores that, that allows you to pull out a drawer or a base from that bottom cupboard, because most of us can't bend over that easy or, or it's really hard, or we would tend to throw stuff in the back of a cupboard and then you're never going to find it again because you don't want to get down on your knees and dig it out. So if you have those pull out drawer things on the bottom of your cupboards, you have access to every inch of space of those cupboards. So I find that, and they're not expensive. You can get them where they're really not expensive and they're easy to just um, install. They just slide into the bottom of your drawers uh, or your cupboards so that you can pull it out like a, like a drawer, even though it might not have a drawer, it's like an inside drawer. So it makes it really good and you can get access to those deep, dark recesses of your cupboards. <laughs> <laughs> what's your favorite part of the quilting process just in general? And maybe what's your least favorite part? Wow, I love every part of it, but I think choosing fabrics and and or designing the quilt itself, but probably choosing fabrics is my most favorite. I love picking fabrics and there's an easy way to do that for people that get, and I'm always, you know, amazed when people are like, oh, I hate to choose the fabrics. And to me, that's that's kind of the most fun because if you start with one fabric that you just love, that you just would walk 50 paces across a quilt shop room <laughs> to go pick off the shelf, if that fabric speaks to you and you start with that one, then it's easy to pick blenders. It's easy to pick things that will go with it. You want like a, a geometric, like a little check or, or a stripe, maybe a, you know, a floral or something else to go with it. And then if you even just pick tone on tones, you know, that's, that to me is really fun. I, I love that part of the process. My least favorite is probably basting the quilts <laughs> when I'm preparing to quilt them. Um, and I don't really quilt anything that's larger than 50 inches square. I'm, I'm getting better at, at doing larger quilts. I love quilting uh, on my domestic machine, smaller quilts because they're manageable, right? And that's fun. But these big quilts, you know, 90 by 90, oh, so not my jam. So I quilt with my credit card, <laughs> large quilts. I send them to people who do that and do it so well. And then once it's out the door, I can call that done, you know, so there's no, you can still be a quilter, even if you don't actually quilt your quilts. <laughs> If, if you love piecing or applique and making the tops and that's your thing, no guilt. Just go ahead, send it to somebody who's really good at it and loves to do it. And you can go on to the next quilt top and make yourself happy. I agree. I do like to quilt my own quilts. But at some points, you know, you look at the backlog and I'm thinking... Yes oh boy, I'm going to have to outsource some of these or I'm never yeah. going to finish them. <laughs> right. And and this way you can, you know, you can support a small business. You know, you can support somebody who's in business to do that. So I, it's a win-win. But I do love to quilt my quilts, just not the great big ones. The great big ones, oh no, it's too, it's too much. <laughs> so when you're quilting on your domestic machine, are you doing more straight line or do you do free motion? What What do you usually like to do? Actually, I really like ruler work. I really, really do straight line, some ruler work. I, I'm not real fancy. Um, you know, I try to make use of the decorative stitches or the serpentine stitches on the machine too. I love walking foot quilting. 
Um, so echo quilting is fine, you know, and, and, but I am getting fancier. I, I, now that Janome has come out with this new ASR, which is their stitch regulator, their accurate stitch regulator. Um, it's really easy and I'm getting fancier with using, um, more, more ornate rulers, you know, to make, some really clever designs. Also, I like to couch. I like to do machine couching for quilting. So that's been something I'm just starting to get into. I'm like, oh, this is fun, you know, when you're couching over uh, thin yarns or things. For people who don't know what couching is, would you explain that technique a little? Couching is where you're going to take a, a yarn or um, threads and you stitch across it in a in a way that it creates a design on the surface of your quilt. So um, I like some of these, uh, like think of pearl cotton or or something maybe even a little thicker. You can actually do you know real fuzzy yarns too. But I like something um, about like pearl cotton or a little bit thicker, uh, like a a chunky thread and you're literally stitching over it uh, like with a very small zigzag to couch it or to create a design on top of your quilt. It's really exciting because you can get a whole new texture to your quilting. So I'm enjoying that and it's fun to experiment and explore this new new thing. It's not actually new in the quilting world. It's just new to me. <laughs> <laughs> I always, with every quilt I make, I challenge myself to do something I have never done before. It may be use different threads, um, a different stitch, something different. So I continue to learn and to grow as a quilter. And that's kind of how I got into the couching was, oh, I haven't tried that before. Let me get into that. So um, it's been really fun. And, and this way I can keep challenging myself to grow because I don't want to stay stagnant and I want to always try to improve my skills. And it doesn't have to be something big. It can be something, you know, like try using those holographic threads that they have or something new and different, but it's always fun to try new things, new templates, new stabilizers, whatever it is, whatever you're, you're trying to do. Don't be afraid to try something new with every quote you make. I love that idea. That is such a great, a great philosophy. You sound like you're a very busy woman. So how do you make time for your own personal projects? That that's hard. That really is because I am always creating for um, new classes or um, when I'm making new projects for Genomi on their social media platform and doing things like that. But um, even this past weekend, I I set aside Saturday. Uh, even though I'm getting ready for, you know, a big event coming up, I was like, well, I've been working nonstop on preparations and packing and, um, you know, just everything that's involved with behind the scenes before you get to a class to teach. But I set aside Saturday as I'm not going to work. It's going to be just uh, uh, my my husband and our boys had gone away for a retreat. Um, and I was like, this is my day. And I literally had so much fun. I was working on um, actually a new quote with Roomville, but it was for fun. It was, you know, yes, I'll probably end up doing something with it <laughs> class wise, but started out just being for fun. And then I spent the evening watching old movies and doing hand embroidery. So it was really just a fun way. And I felt refreshed. I felt completely like, oh, there's, there's that little boost to my creative mojo, just to be able to do something different and give myself permission to just walk away from work and just enjoy some time just creating for the fun of it. 
<laughs> yes. It sounds like you had your own personal quilt retreat. Yes, I did. Right in my, in my little, what I call my studio is called the log room. And that's from my military husband. He calls it the log room, which stands for logistics. And it's where, you know, it's like a war room where everything, you know, the creativity happens. <laughs> So he'll either call it my war room or the log room or something. So yeah, I, I hunkered down in my log room and, and was creating away. So it was really fun. Is there anything else you would love to chat about before we go into uh, some rapid fire questions? This is just so awesome to be able to chat with you. And uh, hopefully I've inspired someone out there and um, because it's all about inspiration and sharing ideas and uh, techniques, even if somebody picked up, you know, a little light bulb moment sort of thing, like, oh, I can, yeah, I can look for those little pullout drawers and then my new, my cupboard will be completely usable. I mean, something like that. I just hope I've been able to inspire. That's, that's why I do what I do. Definitely. Definitely. It's been so lovely for me too, just to hear about your process and, and think about things in a little different way. We're going to take a quick ad break and we'll be back with rapid fire questions with Kimberly. Okay. So here we'll go into our rapid fire question. So what is your favorite or most used notion? Wow. I keep it and it's actually my own ruler, but it's, it's called the um, precision jelly roll ruler and it's a five inch by 10 inch ruler. And it, what I noticed when I'm creating um, with pre-cuts is you never cut anything with an eighth of an inch increment. You cut quarter, half and whole sizes. So this ruler, I keep handy right on my cutting table and it's my go-to ruler. Do you have any pets who assist you in your sewing room? I do. We are, we are pet. Oh, we are nuts for both cats and dogs. Right now we only have cats and they are always with me. Um, my cat Cheeto is kind of internationally famous. He has his own Instagram account called Genomi Cat. He is crazy about being with me in the studio and loves to lay right next to me when I'm sewing. He is always, he, sometimes he gets on the bed of the of the machine, you know, underneath from the, the needle to, the, he gets underneath there and likes to, to sleep there while I'm sewing and I don't mind at all. But we have these kitties and they're always with me and I have beds around the studio so that they, you know, are always down here. And yes, I do keep treats down here. <laughs> <laughs> Got to bribe them a little bit to to hang out bit, with you. Right. <laughs> they know they get treats if they hang out with me. So I'm never alone. Yes, I love our cats. Our kitties are great. Uh, is there something that's still on your quilting bucket list? Yes, I have in my mind, I want to create a quilt of our life, my my husband's and my life. We just celebrated our 35th wedding anniversary um, on <laughs> Sunday. And yeah, I can't believe that. And I have in my mind, I'm formulating a quilt with all the places we've lived and, you know, the cities we visited. So I think it's going to be sort of a geographical map, but then highlights with um, photo transfers in it and a lot of embellishment and surface design. So it'll be a mixed media project. And I want it to be great big to hang on our wall, to be sort of like an encyclopedia of our life together. But um, I haven't started it yet because I've been busy, but that's in the back of my mind. It's coming. I need to start working on it. Oh, that sounds like it'll be absolutely fantastic. 
Is there a new skill that you would want to learn or improve upon? Oh, I want to get even better at machine quilting, uh, especially the free motion, um, because I am a perfectionist. I feel like I have perfected the piecing and applique skills. I'm I'm a decent machine quilter, but I want to get really, really good at it. So I really want to keep working on that to, to do almost show-worthy work. I don't know if I'll ever get to that point, but I would love to be able to think that I could perfect my machine quilting, the free motion to the point where I could enter it into a show and feel like it would be respectable. (laughs) So (laughs) I'm also a quilt judge. I have been a quilt judge for 20 years, so I know what to look for. (laughs) My own worst critic. (laughs) I know what it should look like. Well, I think we are all our own worst critic when it comes to our quilting. It's true. And, and, you know, I found that in talking to people, how many times people that have won a ribbon or won an award and have said, that was the first time I've entered because I never thought I was good enough. And I'm like, see what happened? Oh my goodness. Of course you're good enough. So I'm always encouraging others. Here's what I tell people. I think everybody should enter a quilt show three times. And the reason I say at least three times is because one time, you know, is not enough. Your quilt in one show may not place, but in another show, that same quilt will be up uh, uh, being measured against different quilts in a different number of quilts. And it might do really well. Or if you get comments back, I never want any judge to write anything that would discourage anybody from entering a quilt show. But I know that it sometimes happens. So I always say, throw that one out. Don't even worry about it. Somebody had a bad day, <laughs> but at least enter a show at least three times. Give give yourself a chance to, to experience what, what it's like to um, enter a show. And, and if they do provide comments, which sometimes they do, you can learn from those. So that's kind of what I like to tell people. What is something that you are proud of in your quilting career? Being Janome's national spokesperson uh, is truly the the highest for me. It's the highest honor. I am just so honored to, to represent this company and, and everything that they stand for. Um, but I think I am just so humbled by um, when I go out and teach, and I always try to be a blessing to every student that comes in the door or even through my video classes or you know the online things. I just wanna bless someone. What is amazing to me is how much those students bless me. And I never expect that, but it always, by the end of the day, I just feel overwhelmed because I got to share their smiles. I got to hear why they quilt. Um, I always like to talk to them even just for a few minutes and, and find out why are they, you know, what, what about quilting? Is it for therapy? Is it um, because they want to contribute? What about it? And they always end up blessing me. So um, that part is just so humbling and so special to me, that connection with students, whether it's online or when somebody reaches out and, and uh, writes, writes to me, um, or reaches out through email or something. I, I just love that. That That is so special. And that's why I love teaching. Amazing. Okay, what is your favorite city in Australia that you visited? Absolutely, Brisbane. It is the neatest 
combination of modern and new and vibrant. And yet there's the beaches right there. And then they have what they call the hinterlands, which are these little mountains right behind it. And you can drive to them all. You can be in all these different places from that vibrant modern downtown to the beach within an hour to the hinterland within an hour. And the Australia Zoo, you know, the one with Steve Irwin that's now run by uh, Terry Irwin and, and the Irwins. That's right outside of Brisbane. And it's fabulous. It's as amazing as you would imagine it to be so I just I love Brisbane <laughs> okay Ooh, it's a beautiful city. Yeah, it's I've fun. always wanted to visit Australia but go if you ever have the chance to go well this has been absolutely lovely chatting with you thank you so much for your time today where can our listeners find you on social media yes Yes, I'm on I'm on Instagram, uh, Kimberly at Kimberly Imo Designs and on Facebook, just Kimberly Imo. Um, I'm also on the Genomi Sewing Machines pages. I have videos there and my website, www.kimberlyimo.com. Great. We'll link those on our show notes page. And okay. I think maybe we can get some of those sunset pictures and we could put those yes. on our podcast page two so people can see those fabulous colors. I, will, I would love I would love to show this off because they're just so vibrant and no filters. That's just the way the skies look. And that was such that was a, a little what I like to call a glimmer. Um a glimmer is you know just one of those moments you're like, oh it's it just makes you happy. It's just one of those little God wings that come your way. So I will definitely share those pictures with you. Thank you so much again, and we really appreciate having you on. Thank you. That was so fun chatting with Kimberly. Check the show notes page for the links to where you can find Kimberly and follow along on all of her amazing adventures. We'll post some kangaroo photos and sunset pictures she shared as well, so you can see her inspiration for her new fabric line, Rueville from Benertex. We'll link to the line too, so you can see all of the gorgeous fabrics. The collection will be shipping soon, so ask for it at your local quilt shop. Until next time, wishing you a lot of quilting time with very little seam ripper usage.